Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That, well, well, we'll officially start if you want, because I have something I wanted to say about that. Because I just, I'm, I'm just really into this. A okay, lot. yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> yeah, good. So <laughs> maybe we should start talking about it. Yeah, hey, yeah. I'm, yeah. Gl- I'm glad. Finally, after twenty whatever episodes, we finally found yeah. something you're actually twenty whatever <laughs> desiring to talk about. Okay. I was really into Bigfoot too, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Dig up your torn jeans, your old leather jacket, and some quarters for the jukebox. Today we're talking rock logos. Just like the music, there's no question this artwork is meant to agitate and stick it to the man. Grab your chain wallet and a couple of lukewarm PPR tall boys. It's time to kick down the doors, turn up the volume, and join us back in the bar. So, Todd, today we're talking rock logos. Yes. And uh, I am going to... Let's do our, our typical guessing game. I'm going to see if you can not only guess the band, but once you guess the band... If there's a, you know, a logo or at least some sort of like visual that pops into your head, how about that? Okay, all right. Well, there's a lot of band logos, Elliot. So, oh, I, you know, goodness. be kind to me. Give me, give me good hints. Okay. So, how about? I, I think it makes sense. We're talking music. It only makes sense to start with songs. So, I'm going to give okay. you right. a song title or two, and then you can see if you can zero in on the band I'm thinking all right. of all and right. their logo. All right. All right. Good. Are you okay. going to sing them? Are you going to sing them, or are you just going to give me the titles? Given the band, I'm not sure you would want me to sing them. Okay. All right. Good. And Let's given go. given the fact that our our audience has come with us this far for this many episodes, <laughs> yeah. they given probably don't is, want me. To, more importantly, they don't want me. Given that this is singing. an audio medium, our audience may not want you to sing them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This isn't a karaoke podcast. Yeah. All right. Hit me with the first one. Okay. Song title number one is right. Winnebago Warrior. Uh, that Wasn't that a hit by ABBA? Mm, good guess. Mm, no, good guess. No. But that's okay, that's I'm, not the logo. You're, you know, okay, I'm thinking I'm, of today. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I don't, I don't know that one. I thought I knew music, but give me another. All right. California Uber Alice. We're... So okay, that gives so, you an idea of the state, yeah, the the, f- yeah. the physical location of the band. So we're talking a West um, Coast band. Surf Punks. Uh, well, they yeah. do have a song called, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and say it. They have a song called Nazi Punks Fuck Off. That's sort of close. Oh, 
Oh, okay. Well, now I know who you're talking about. All right, would hit they, me. All right. Would they happen to also have a song called Holiday in Cambodia? Why, yes, they would. We're talking about the Dead Kennedys. Yes, the Dead Kennedys. And our friend Jello Biafra. Yes. Seminole Bay Area punk band, Dead Kennedys, started up in the late 70s, went into the 80s, enemy of both Jerry Brown and Ronald Reagan, among other mm-hmm. establishment figures. Well, so see, they went across the aisle. There, yeah, they did. They, they tried to make everyone upset, I think. That's right. You probably also then, in your mind's eye, at least in a rudimentary uh, way, know what their logo is, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I... I was thinking about that as soon as we were you started talking, and um, I could probably draw it because it's pretty simple, but mm-hmm. it reminds me of like an Egyptian glyph or something, you know, just the sort of simple. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's the letter forms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're you're not far off, and there's a there's a backstory to why it's in your head. Okay. And it is so simple, and you remember it. So. If you're a fan of punk music, or almost any music, you've likely stumbled upon the Dead Kennedys logo. And of course, we're going to have their logo on our episode page. So I'll just describe it really quickly for listeners who may not be familiar with it. Uh, It's only four lines, right? Doesn't get much more simple than that. Mm -hmm. But it's really iconic, and anyone can draw it. You really don't need any uh, artistic experience or talent or anything like that. If you know how to make an X... (laughs) you've got a pretty Mm -hmm. good start, okay? (laughs) So literally, it's an X, then a vertical line that comes down bisecting the X. So it's kind of like an asterisk, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then on the left-hand side, there's a second shorter vertical line that connects the two left line ends to form a D shape, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. then when it's done, you have a D that is pointy and it kisses right up to a letter K. So it's a Mm -hmm. DK sort of uh, visual lockup or, or brand here. And then sometimes it has a circle behind it, but the circle isn't encompassing this DK shape. It's actually behind it and just providing a little, uh, you know, aspect of color or texture. So the lines sort of have this energy because they're bursting past the circle. Okay. And I always regarded it as sort of like, the, we all know what the anarchy symbol looks like, of course, you know, the A mm-hmm, and the circle mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I always regarded this mark as sort of like the son of the anarchy symbol, right? The anarchy Mm -hmm. symbol had an offspring. And I think, again, for this band, it is totally appropriate, given what we just talked about with their pedigree and what they were singing about and the time that they were doing uh, all of this. But they didn't have the offspring. Yeah, no, that was, yeah, that's that's an unfortunate band that happened a couple decades later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, offspring fans or the offspring themselves, if uh, band members happen to be listening. If you're listening while you're working at Kinko's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. That wouldn't play. No one knows what Kinko's is. Man, well, yeah. Oh, well, well you know what? We're going to get oh, into we Xeroxing as well over this <laughs> this story. So this is all, all very, right. very meta. All okay. Right. I, won't, I won't say that when we record this for real. Oh, yeah. Well, this is good that this is only the dry run. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Go ahead, Elliot. All right. So the Dead Kennedys, like how I found out about them, um, they were totally in my high school wheelhouse, my college wheelhouse. You know, I grew up skating. I hung around like goth people, punk people, skaters, all this kind of stuff. And that was just sort of, uh, you know, in the milieu of the of the culture. But I still listen to the Dead Kennedys today. Like, <laughs> I love them. I think they're great. So I could go on and on about their brilliance. 
And there have actually been documentaries made, okay? So uh, we'll post some of those links on our episode page. But today, we're just going to talk logos, uh, because otherwise our listeners will be more bored than they already are. Okay, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's just stick to logos here. So there's actually... As with most things we talk about, there is an interesting backstory and there is a little bit of dispute. Because otherwise, what fun would this podcast be, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. You wouldn't need a podcast for this. You're right. So was it frontman Jello Biafra, who you mentioned? Or was it the artist who was a self-described punk art surrealist named Winston Smith, who actually came up with the idea? So each of them will tell you that they're the one behind the ultimate concept. So this is what's really great about it. So first, Jell-O. So when asked about the DK logo in an interview, Biafra explained, quote, I wanted to make sure it was something simple and easy to spray paint so people would graffiti it all over the place. And then I showed it to Winston Smith. He played around with it, came back with a bunch of designs that had a circle and a slightly 3D-looking letters, and thought he had ones with different patterns behind it. I like the ones with the bricks, but ultimately I thought simple red was going to be the boldest and the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Smith, of course, had a slightly different take. So he says, back in 1980, after working with Biafra on the first Dead Kennedys record, he called me up one evening and asked me if I could come up with some sort of emblem or logo which the band could use as an identifying image. He explained that a lot of bands went by their initials, like Millions of Dead Cops was MDC, there was DOA, DRI. Again, uh, listeners of punk music or thrash music will know who these guys are. Mm -hmm. So therefore, Biafra was suggesting I focus on some image that was kind of hard-edged and severe using a D and a K. That was it. No other specific instructions. And this was all over the telephone. No visual images were ever shown to me by Biafra or anyone else. I was never consulted by nor did I consult any other members of the band. And just for the record, any other variations on how the DK logo was conceived and developed are, to put it charitably, in error. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, He's really not unsure of that, is he? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. However, having said all this, there are a few things that were not in dispute. Okay? So... First, uh, Smith basically workshopped the logo in a single night. So then a few days later, he is working on the art. He had made some Xeroxes in a local uh, drugstore because that's there. There wasn't really any Kinkos. There wasn't, aside from the library, there were these uh, dime or quarter a copy machines that you would always find in front of the drugstore. I'm sure you remember those, Todd, from yeah. um, you know when you were younger. I certainly do. Um, yep, yep. So. He makes all his Xeroxes, and he has, like, stacks of different options. And then he goes and meets Biafra for for lunch, you know, at a a cafe in Berkeley. So Mm -hmm. Biafra sees the DK logo, and he loves it because it was so simple that anyone could quickly paint or scribble it as graffiti. Okay? So, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. You don't need an art degree. You don't need to have a really good memory. You know, in a way, it's sort of the Nike swoosh of uh, (laughs) punk logos, I guess. Right, right. And then Smith recalls, when I first showed the logo to Biafra a week or so later, he said, that's it. And before I knew it, the logo was drawn all over the walls in the back of the club they were gigging at in Berkeley, where we were that night. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say that is an eager and enthusiastic uh, client in this case, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
I think they sold it. I think I think they were happy with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever he did, he did it right. So that, in a nutshell, that is the story of the Dead Kennedys logo. But I have more to tell, as you may imagine. Yes. But first, I want to know who you're talking about today because it's if it's as half as good as the logo I have. Not to toot my own horn, but that's a that was a pretty good logo. Yeah. So yeah. if your rock logo is as half as good as my uh, logo, we're going to have a lot of fun. Well, I'm so glad that you chose the Dead Kennedys to to represent today because the band that I chose uh, was a little before that mm. and quite connected in musical style and some would say the originators of that style of music that would be known as punk so i I mean this is a guessing game is really moot for this for this elliot i mean i've just given you enough right there so you could easily guess who, who who we're talking about right let's say it together i i i would say it's an east coast band cool in the gang (laughs) <laughs> a certain East Coast band. Maybe their colors are black and white. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you know who we're talking about. All I right, do. We're talking about the Ramones. Yes. Yes, I so love iconic. the Ramones. Yes. Um, so I found some great information. First of all, our listeners have heard me talk about kind of 20th century pop culture hotspots in the past. We talked about things that were happening in Hollywood, things that were happening uh, in Manhattan, things that were happening kind of all over the place. So, you know, Elliot, I love those stories about creative hotspots. And that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about because this, uh, this is a wonderful story. And what I'm going to do, and I can imagine as I'm telling you this, I can imagine like there's probably going to be some background music that takes you back like a little bit, maybe even that, like that dream music, you know, Mm, because I want to talk about Friday, August 16th, 1974. I know you were just a baby at that time, but I'm sure you remember it well. Oh, I do. Now, here's what's interesting. So August 16th, 1974, just a week earlier, President Nixon had resigned and President Ford has become president. And this is this was such a thing that had never happened. All of a sudden, we have uh, a, a president that was accused of wrongdoing, forced to resign, and we had a new president that was uh, appointed as vice president. So this person was never elected by the people. So this was, a, this was quite a hiccup in the system. So that was a week earlier. Also, that, that week of August 16th, in the U.S., top songs of the week were, uh, okay, these are headbangers. Feel Like <laughs> Making Love by Roberta Flack. Not the not bad company. This is a little softer. You may say, Feel Like Making Love. Oh, man. You know that Both one. our yeah. listeners have just stopped I know. Listening. They're going. Okay. Also, You're Having My Baby. By Paul Anka and Odia Coates, cousin Odia Coates. <laughs> That's and what I was going to ask. One of my all-time <laughs> favorites, "The Night Chicago Died" by Paper Lace. You know I love a story song. That's true. All right, those were the top songs of the day in that week. Now, in Midtown Manhattan, the movie Harry and Tonto was uh, had just opened, was playing at the Paris on the Upper West Side, 
one of my favorite movies, John Waters' Pink Flamingos was playing at the New Yorker. So that was kind of a culture clash of moviedom right then. And there was a lot of live music going on in Manhattan. In lower Manhattan at Max's Kansas City, the Atlanta Rhythm section was on the second night of a three-night stand. Further uptown in Central Park at the rink, they were jamming to the Four Seasons with Jay and the Americans. A little bit of a retro vibe on that one, I think. Mm. Even further uptown at 125th Street in Harlem, the Citadel of Soul, known as the Apollo Theater, they were going to tear it up that night because Ike and Tina Turner Review was there. So you've got this crazy clash of music all over Manhattan, but way, way, way down in Greenwich Village, it was hot and humid, particularly on the Bowery, where it always smelled like piss and old beer. Probably old piss and old beer. Kind of like our bar. Yeah, right, right, right. But you know, that didn't matter to the crowds that are packing the legendary CBGB. They were used to this. They were always there. They were always looking at bands that were from the neighborhood. And that night, August 16th, was no different. They were there to see local neighborhood favorites, Blondie. So what's kind of cool is on that August night, a new band from Queens was going to open for Blondie, someone that no one had ever heard of. And you know who we're talking about. We've already announced (laughs) this. But this was their first performance ever. The four guys, they were different, crazy different. They shared the same look, long dark hair, black leather jackets, white t-shirts, torn jeans, Chuck Taylor sneakers. They were odd looking and they sounded like nothing else the locals had experienced. And oddly enough, they were a family band, right? They all shared the same last name. They were loud, fast, brash. They were basic rock and roll with no frills, high-energy, simple songs. So when they opened for Blondie, they stormed through just a three-song set, which, by the way, setlist.fm is great because you can go back and see what songs bands played at some of these early gigs, and it's fantastic. Uh, Just really puts you there. So that's where I found out some of this information. That's great. And those in the audience, they wouldn't know it that Friday night, but that family band of sort of four ragamuffins known as the Ramones introduced them to the birth of punk rock. And as a matter of fact, that term wouldn't even be coined for another two years. You know, they were, they were sort of calling it street rock or things like that. Just, but the term punk rock that they invented that night in August wouldn't even come to be for a few more years. I I just think of their song. What is it? Judy is a punk. Judy is a punk rocker, which, you know what? I was getting gas at Sheets last weekend and heard that playing over the speakers. By the way, uh, was that that a product placement, not only for the Ramones, but for Sheets? (laughs) No, I'm sorry. We uh, make sure you black out that name because they're not paying us for that. Oh, okay. It'll just be mysterious gas. Uh, gasoline convenience I, I think we should alter the story as a throwback to a prior episode and say you were at the gas hopper getting gas. Oh, okay. Now now we can because we do have an episode where we talk lovingly or you talk lovingly about gas hopper. So uh, we definitely should do a throwback for that one too. Sounds good. Back to the Ramones. 
So anyone who knows the Ramones and probably people who have never even heard the Ramones music, chances are you've seen the logo because it's a parody of the great seal of the president of the United States. Now it was designed by uh, a guy that's called the fifth Ramon. He was a New York City artist, designer, and performer, longtime friend and supporter. His name is Arturo Vega. And he saw the Ramones as the ultimate all-American band. Like they weren't trying to sound British. They weren't trying to sound anything other than just straightforward, no bullshit, all-American. And he says, to me, they reflected the American character in general, an almost childish, innocent aggression, which I love. I love how that describes the Ramones. That also describes my son. <laughs> Maybe he's a Ramon. Maybe. Then. Maybe he is. So Arturo Vega, he was the band's buddy, supporter, creative director, historian, archivist. And even sometimes uh, he housed the band. His loft was just a two-minute walk from CBGB. He was literally around the corner at uh, 6 East 2nd Street. CBGB was, uh, like I said, around the corner at 313 Bowery. So a hop, skip, and a jump. And he was a close confidant of the group. And it's pretty well known that they practiced in his loft and um, he let them crash there when they didn't have a place to stay and helped them with, uh, with really expenses and food and beer before they got the first album out. Now, one of the things that I love about this, and I'll tell you more as we go along, but there's this musical and visual aesthetic that goes along with the Ramones and everyone knows it it's that sort of stripped down raw no bullshit loud fast do-it-yourself minimalism that I really dig and that really was an influence on me but for them the band says that that came from their influence uh, from comic books from the Andy Warhol scene which was obviously huge at that time too in the village from avant-garde films and one of our favorites, Mad Magazine. Oh, I like them even more now. I know, I know. Uh, Tommy Ramone, the original drummer, gave us that tidbit. So I'm like, yeah, of course, that's why it all fits together. And the Ramones, as I said, it's widely cited. This isn't my opinion. It's widely cited. This was the birth of punk rock. They were highly influential in the New York punk scene um, as well as the punk scene that was kind of popping up in England, where the Ramones uh, toured not long after they were playing, and uh, where they met the Sex Pistols and the Clash, who are also huge fans. Yeah. So I started by saying all this began August 16th in 1974. You know what's funny is there's a line in the CBGB movie that came out a couple years ago where the owner, Hilly Crystal, tells the Ramones, they're going to hate you. Can you come back tomorrow? <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and I, I, don't know, I don't know if that is an accurate quote. I couldn't find it to attribute to Hilly Crystal. Um, <laughs> but the evidence is there because after that night in uh, August 16th, the Ramones played CBGB 74 more times by the end of the year. So 
that's like a couple times a week, uh, at least to the end of the year. If, if not, uh, well, actually, it's about every other night if you look at kind of the available nights of playing. And what's interesting is the average set list lasted 17 minutes from beginning to end. <laughs> but it was a bunch of songs. It's not like it was three oh, songs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was it was a bunch of songs. They were barely two minutes long. They would just count off and start ripping and stop 17 minutes later <laughs> and leave. And the dust settled, yeah. Yeah, and um, so that's, again, one of those things that we just love about the Ramones. And um, I have a... Uh, a little bit of a of a connection, a bit of a personal story, but I also want to connect a little more to this great seal and how Arturo Vega came to recognize that as part of the Ramones and how uh, his building of that logo really just exemplified the DIY uh, aesthetic. But I think it would be cool if I learned a little bit more about the Dead Kennedys too. Todd, it's nice to be talking rock music over beers without having to shout while wearing earplugs. Wait a minute, Elliot. Don't give our listeners any ideas. Earplugs? Oh, right. I meant earbuds. It's great we're talking in the bar while wearing our earbuds. Hey, nerds. I'm Sarah, the paper nerd. And if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received... Well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Good job, Ellie. Nice work. Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait... We do want people to visit, right? Well... Oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling... Tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. (laughs) That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. Okay, so you mentioned a few times being inspired by the presidential seal for mm-hmm. their their logo. And you also mentioned the time period. So, you know, Dead Kennedys came of age in 78, 79, later in the 70s. So 
The Ramones had, I don't know, four or five years on the Dead Kennedys. <laughs> but, uh, and this is really, really interesting. So I started to talk about Winston Smith, who, you know, the, the story differs a little bit, but we can agree that he and Jella Biafra sort of had this shared sort of zeitgeist around punk music and visuals for the band and, and what this would start to look like. So the Dead Kennedys released their music. They, naturally wanting to stick it to the man, the last thing they were going to do would be to trust a corporate record label, right? <laughs> I think we mm-hmm. could agree on that. So they have their own, and it's still around today, record label called Alternative Tentacles. <laughs> so I think that in and of itself is a great statement about the music industry at large. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think I think you would agree that uh, corporate record companies were probably not going to trust their reputation <laughs> with the dead <laughs> Yeah, either. the feeling was probably mutual. <laughs> it was yeah. very mutual. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Smith, Winston Smith developed a logo for uh, the label as well as for the major band on the label. And this uh, logo is also a riff on the presidential seal. Okay. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd think hmm. it would be, I don't know, an <laughs> octopus or a squid or something like that. Um, right. But no, of course not. It, it, we're Todd, we're taking on the man. All right. Yeah. All right. What other things, but I, there, what other animals have tentacles? I can't think of any. <laughs> I can't think of, head. there are no, for the record, there are no tentacles in the logo I'm about to describe. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, that, that settles it. <laughs> So, um, well, you know, there, there might kind of sort of be, and I'll, I'll explain that in, in a second, but the, it's, it's very subtle if, if they're in there. So the logo, like I said, it's a riff on the presidential seal. So it's a circle. It has an animal in the middle, but in this case, the animal isn't an eagle. It's an abstract vampire bat. Okay. So it's okay. got bat wings. It's kind of got this bat head, but again, it's very, very abstract. So the record label's name, so the words alternative tentacles, are arched over the bat's head. Mm -hmm. And then the bat's feet or talons or claws or whatever you want to refer to them as are clutching a a missile (laughs) with a star on it in in one talon and then a cross with a with a dollar sign on, on the other the other mm-hmm. tentacle and then both are like crumbling right so that they're getting mm-hmm. gripped too hard to the point that they're getting destroyed which i think is really great and then mm-hmm. the the border this may be where the where the tentacles aspect comes in because there's sort of a woven almost braided border that forms the circle of this this seal and it almost looks like interwoven snake tails. And these might be tentacles, right? Um, okay. it's, it's sort of hard to tell, but it's kind of like uh, if you think about the symbol of the Ouroboros thing, which uh, is like, you know, know, the what, snake what eating that? its own tail. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit, too. But my guess is it might be tentacles. And if, if that is the case, there are way more than eight. <laughs> but this guy was a this guy was a straight baller, man, because he also signed this logo. <laughs> it's a logo. And so his initials are really small in an empty area in the bottom of the border of this logo. There's a little WS. Um, so I think it's great because when I was looking more closely at this logo, it reminded me of how where um, 
when American coins get minted, they always put a letter for where the coin was actually struck because there are, of right. course, different mints in different parts of the country. So in a weird way, yes, it looks like a presidential seal, but it also looks like it could be on a coin of some sort. Maybe it was, and mm-hmm. I'm not aware of that. I've never seen that. But I thought it was great that it kind of um, sort of riffs on the presidential seal, but also riffs on American currency in a way, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, money being the almighty God or whatever. But to talk about Smith, I feel like I need to be a little bit more um, expansive because, as I mentioned earlier, he didn't see himself as a logo designer, right? He called himself a punk art surrealist. So Mm -hmm. that's a pretty bold statement. As you mentioned earlier, punk rock had been invented a few years before. So he was really taking this uh, label or or this expression, running with it, building on it. Okay. So you can only do so much with a logo, whether you actually sign them or not, right? So his (laughs) real medium was collage. And he later contributed artwork for the covers of several Dead Kennedys albums that if you are a fan of punk music, a fan of Dead Kennedys in particular, you have likely seen these albums. So one is In God We Trust Incorporated. Another Mm -hmm. is Plastic Surgery Disasters. There's (laughs) Frankenchrist, Bedtime for Democracy, Give Me Convenience or Give Me Death. And then one of of my (laughs) favorite Dead Kennedys songs, because sometimes people genuinely take it as... Uh, being serious and not sarcastic is uh, he also did the artwork for the single uh, Kill the Poor. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. We're not supposed to do that, right? No. Not, well, not, <laughs> okay, not, okay, not anymore. Not anymore. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, good. And then he also created artwork for some other bands on the Alternative Tentacles record label as well because it wasn't just about the Dead Kennedys. They would release um, the mm-hmm. music of other bands that uh, they were friends with or, or that they liked, that sort of thing. It's really funny. So how he described it was he said, a lot of the artwork at the time looked very much like the Dada period. Things were Mm -hmm. just cut out of something else and kind of slapped together. So he's he's talking about the late 70s here. And so Mm -hmm. as he refined his art, he eventually uh, found this depiction. He he found a crucifix. Then he put dollar bills all over it. and, and had, like, I think Jesus is in gold, like you painted Jesus gold on it. Mm-hmm. And then he ended mm-hmm. up using that. Um, and, and in a documentary that we'll post a link to, like, he still has the physical thing. So it wasn't like he made a flat collage. Like, this was a dimensional thing that was photographed. Um, so this this crucifix made of dollar bills ended up being on In God We Trust Incorporated on that EP, mm-hmm. which was released <laughs> in 1981. Like, it's so brilliant. And then even Jello Biafra says... Most of the collages I see, even the ones that are being done digitally, are done Winston style. Winston is the blueprint. He is probably Mm. the most influential collage artist of the past 40 or 50 years. So Mm. that's high praise, right? So even if there's a little bit of a fracas about who actually maybe made the logo or didn't make the logo or came up with the idea first or whatever... um, Bottom line is, uh, again, in the in the punk music space and bleeding over into pop culture in general, his work was definitely iconic. And and just mm-hmm. as I sort of wrap this up, I'm going to tell you about a recent experience I had where the Dead Kennedys logo, it reintroduced itself to me, as it were. So there's a TV show out now that's called Doom Patrol, and it's based on a, a comic book series of the same name. 
And uh, what was great was I saw a trailer for it on TV, and I and 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 one of the characters on it had what looked to be a Dead Kennedys t-shirt on, and I saw a flash of it. But again, it shows how iconic this logo was that uh-huh. I caught a glimpse of for half a second. I'm like, is this guy wearing like a, a Dead Kennedys t-shirt? You know, 30, 40 years after this band was was doing its thing, like in this um, comic show that was certainly targeted to a younger demographic, right? Younger audience. And um, so I looked it up and lo and behold, I was right. There's actually a DP for Doom Patrol knockoff of the Dead Kennedys logo. And it actually is a t-shirt that you can buy. So I thought that was pretty great. Oh, wow. Huh. Interesting. What? I don't know the TV show. What is that about? So I think the show is is sort of like the Suicide Squad, where it's a bunch of people okay. getting together. So it's a little bit twisted, a little All bit right. demented. So as a result of that, the Dead Kennedys logo, I think, fits into the the idea Seems of it fit. quite yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So obviously, Todd, this is very iconic. And I want to hear more about uh, the Ramones logo, because I kind of got into the Alternative Tentacles logo a little bit. So tell me... When they made this logo, they're riffing on the presidential seal. How would someone know that? Like, what are some of these visuals that they parodied? Well, that's a great question. And uh, they got to that as an idea because Arturo Vega was in Washington, D.C. and happened to see the presidential seal and thought, hey, that fits, you know? Um, Because, again, it's his idea of the all-American band, right? Yeah, yeah, they were the all-American band. He started, he sort of started breaking it down. And this is, again, this is the the sort of philosophy that I think um, Winston Smith, as well as Arturo Vega, and the bands they represented brought to us as kind of fledgling creatives. He based this logo, what he did, you know, obviously he saw the great seal, and he took a self-portrait in a Times Square photo booth, which, ew, for one thing. <laughs> um, and, and it was just of his midsection, and he's wearing an eagle belt buckle. So uh, from the eagle belt buckle, you know, again, took a Times Square photo booth picture. Mm-hmm. He replaced the sign of peace, uh, which is the olive branch in uh, the Great Seal. Uh, in the Eagles Dexter Talon with an apple branch. And see, I learned some cool words too while I was looking at yeah, this. When I'm, you're talking de- about the silk Dexter Dude, and that would Sinister. Be, how how that would be an amazing band name, Dexter Talon. Yeah. Or a okay, comic so, or like a an antihero in a comic book, maybe. Yeah. So that so the Eagle has two talons, a Dexter Talon and a Sinister Talon. Ooh, These I are, like that even so, more. Yeah, and these come from the Latin names of like destiny. Um, distinction, direction, and sinister. I, it means something. I don't know. Anyway, I, so it probably means left and right. I would think. I think it does. I think it does in 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 Latin. And anyway, so he replaced the olive branch with an apple branch because that's all American. The Ramones were as American as apple pie. And in the left talon, the sinister talon, he replaced the arrows with a baseball bat to symbolize particularly Johnny Ramone's love of the all-American sport. And of course, you know, great Ramone song, Beat on the Brat with a baseball bat. (laughs) (laughs) And in the eagle's beak is a scroll. And instead of saying e pluribus unum, it reads, hey ho, let's go, which was the opening lyrics from the band's first signal. 
Blitzkrieg Bop. Now, originally, though, this is what was kind of funny. I think this is more hilarious. Arturo had the phrase, look out below in the eagle's scroll coming from its mouth, which is funny because when you think about the majesty of a bald eagle pooping on people, you know, that's, <laughs> which, which I'm sure that? punk punk thought, you know, the government and the man was doing on a daily basis. Right. Right, 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 right. So I think that's hilarious, but it quickly got changed to, Hey, ho, let's go. Because that was obviously very popular connection to the band. Obviously we're going to post all of these logos and uh, some of the inspiration. There's an arrowhead pattern that is on the crest of the eagle. Uh, it's over the chest of the eagle. And that was taken from just this sort of cheap polyester shirt that uh, Vega had bought. And around the outside ring, where normally it would say the great seal of the President of the United States, he's put the names of the band members, Johnny, Joey, Dee Dee, and Tommy. And over the years, the names would change as the band replaces members, particularly drummers. <laughs> sort of like Spinal Tap, right? <laughs> sort of like Spinal Tap, yeah. I, I was going to ask if you knew that that gag was, uh, in Spinal Tap, was inspired by the Ramones having, you know, lots of drummers. That's great. So a great fun story, how it became is fun. I love, again, I just, you know, I was, I was very young too. So obviously I didn't know much about the Bowery and Greenwich Village at that time, but just the creative energy and the do-it-yourself aesthetic was wonderful at that period. And I love that they captured that lightning in a bottle. And, you know, here's the funny thing. So the Ramones were never big record sellers. They they toured for 20-some years, um, but they sold more T-shirts than records. And as a matter of fact, they were one of the first bands to really make money off of their merchandise, and it was their primary source of income for several years. And I just think, you know, that's just, that's cool. And this whole do-it-yourself aesthetic um, between the band and Arturo Vega uh, really plays out, too, because there's a story, which uh, we'll also post, of Legs McNeil, who actually coined the term punk rock, coming to visit Vega at the loft on 2nd Street. And Arturo Vega is actually printing the T-shirts in the uh, loft. You know, he didn't just design them and send it out to a printer. He's actually printing them in this loft. And what's funny, even funnier than that, I think, is as he's printing these shirts, and this is like wee hours of the late night, early morning, and he's listening to ABBA <laughs> as he's printing the shirts. Now I know why you guessed ABBA in the beginning ah, right. of this that's episode. Right. You had ABBA was... on your mind. Yeah, because it was such a, a punk rock inspiration. And, you know, he's saying, you know, he loves he loves the mix of musical styles. And I think that's just as clear as his assembly of art styles. And mm -hmm. he said he likes the happy. So it's funny because, like, the Dead Kennedys, you know, obviously there's a little tongue-in-cheek there, but there's a lot of poking the bear that they're doing, right? Um, and they were standing on the shoulders of the Ramones, who really just were looking at that music of the time. Like I said, you know, um, Paul Anka, Roberta Flack, Paper Lace. And they were like, 
let's just strip this down back to where it was fun and let's be inspired by Mad Magazine. So what I love about that result, and again, this is part of the, the aesthetic of that time, of that, that sort of creative hub in the Bowery, is they just had that freedom to go wherever the art took them. And they love what they did. They blended stuff together. And they gave me, like when I discovered the Ramones, which was later, you know, a couple years later, probably late 70s, mm-hmm. they gave me that feeling of anything is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if I could do it, you know, then anything was possible. That's great. Yeah. So, and, and uh, I want to finish with just a little bit of a personal story. I, Elliot, do you know that I was, I worked with the Ramones at one time? No. Have I told you that? No. Okay, well, good. This will be a new story for you. Um, so I was actually hired to be um, uh, a dressing room assistant you know, for the Ramones um, for a gig. And, um, you know, I was a fan, obviously, at the time. And um, I was asked to do it. And I said, sure. I was in college. And it was, uh, it was a, a wonderful, fantastic experience. But it was kind of exactly what you would think the Ramones would be like. I took them shopping and we're driving around, you know, getting stuff and uh, they're saying, what songs do you want to hear? And I said, well, are you going to play Sheena's a Punk Rocker? Yep. Are you going to (laughs) play Blix Bop? Yep. Are you going to play a little bit of soap? Yep. So every song I mentioned, they're like, yeah, we're going to play all, we're going to play all of them and they won't be more than two minutes. Right. (laughs) So I was like, that's fantastic. Cause you know, every song they were like, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Yep. We'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. They were, and they did, they started, they performed for, um, I think it was an hour and a half. And uh, I got to watch from the wings um, because they weren't in the dressing room then. And they literally were introduced, the Ramones, they came out, one, two, three, four, and didn't stop until an hour and a half later. You know? <laughs> and they were all the two-minute songs for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like it was like a 27-song set, you know? <laughs> and the, the other thing, which I should have started with this because it would be in chronological order, their uh, road cases came into the dressing room before they did, of course. And so I had to set everything out. But, you know, I couldn't touch the road cases. Um, that was for the road manager. But I was there, you know, to help. And when they opened the, the doors to these road cases where they kept their leather jackets, it was like the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was both magical and scary. <laughs> Your face didn't melt off, though. My face didn't melt, uh, but I, it, it, if it did, it melted from just sheer joy of uh, meeting and hanging out with these guys that were incredibly normal guys from Queens at the time. And, um, you know, that, again, was just such an inspiration. You know, as a, as a design student at the time, I just really felt like they were given all of us the freedom to do what we wanted to do. And they were all, they were telling us, you got this, you can do this. If we can do it, you can do it. I love that story because you met your heroes and it worked out. It did, yeah, which, you know, you shouldn't do that 
a lot of times, and you and I have talked about working with celebrities in other forums too, um, but I was really happy uh, with that. And you know what else would make me happy is another drink. Ooh. And hey, since you've rubbed elbows with the rich and famous, I assume you have a few bucks in your pocket to buy me another drink as Again? well. Again? Again? Oh, hmm. you know. It seems that you always come around to that. But yeah, okay. but Todd, right. I'm right. always the one pulling the brown M&Ms out of our snacks for you. <laughs> All right. Granted. Till next time. All right, everyone. We'll see you soon. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.